Hi, this is Mary Ellen LaBianca with the Gloucester Historical Commission. And we're here again to do another podcast on topics uh, relating to the history of Gloucester. And today our topic is some of our historical burial grounds, our historical cemeteries. And our guest, special guest today is uh, Commission member Sandy Barry, who is the uh, who works in the Cemetery Advisory Committee and Jude Seminara, also a, a member of the commission. Uh, and I think, you know, we'll, we'll start with a, um, a general discussion about the first parish burial ground, which is over on Centennial Ave. It's the earliest one that we have, was founded in 1644, right? And um, Sandy, what can, you, what can you tell us about it? I know you've been very active in that ah, cemetery. Yes. Um, the city itself was incorporated in 1642. Uh, around that time, in order to really be incorporated, you have to establish a cemetery. And there began the first parish burial ground in 1644. At that time, we have a really difficult time figuring out who's buried there until 1717 when we could find stone markers. We have a lot of information in history books, especially John Babson's, but it wasn't until we could really get in there and start to dig around and find stones that survived that time did we find one that was 1717. What's interesting about that time between 1744, we'll say, and 1717 is that it was a poor community, and as a result of that, the early settlers tend to use wooden markers or basically just rocks that they could find in word of mouth. Don't bury somebody here. My family's here. Don't bury somebody over there. And of course, early church records, how, however rudimentary they were. Fascinating. Who was the person from 1717? Do we knew, know who some of those early people we were? We do. And then if um, I'll have a, a picture of her posted up on the website, Deborah Poole. Mm-hmm. And she has a very old, broken apart stone, like a lot of the stones in the cemetery. Mm-hmm. We found the bottom part of her stone during a National Park Service workshop we were holding there this summer. Mm-hmm. And we were able to put the top of her, or I should say the middle of Deborah, on top of the bottom part of Deborah. Oh, goodness. So, <laughs> I know. And we're missing. Probably the top uh, third of her stone, which would have been in those times a skull, a wing skull, and some scrolling. Which, by the way, me and Jude were talking about this earlier before mm-hmm. you arrived, about the cost of some of these stones that people had to save a long time for. Really? I think in terms of current day dollars, um, it could have cost uh, about 300 dollars in current day dollars wow. but back then in the 17th century that would have been a fortune that would have been a fortune yeah. but there were you know if you think about some of the early sa- uh, settlers here they tend to be merchants that had ships and mm-hmm. were um, um, involved in the early trading and commerce and they might have been selling all the way up and down the coasts and mm-hmm. probably were early uh, captains of ships mm-hmm. and industry um, 
But on the other hand, a lot of times you'll see a number of family members listed on the stones mm -hmm. because you've got one big stone and you fit as many people, people as you there. could on yep. there. <laughs> yep. Goodness gracious. So um, who are the people that are, are buried in there? They're, they're merchants, but uh, are there soldiers that are buried? We have everything from the French and Indian War, which I think, and Jude can probably correct me on this, six, 1757. Seventeen fifty-seven to seventeen sixty-three. Yes. Okay. So that's the French and Indian War. That war was between the Canada recruiting um, the French area of Canada, recruiting a lot of Indians up in there, the Algonquins and the mm -hmm. and, um, and the Abenaki. Then, th that's right, the Abenaki. Abenaki. Yep. This is Mary Ellen's specialty, <laughs> and then the English. Colonies, of course, uh, def you know, defending that borderline between Canada, pre not present-day Canada, but at least uh, Canada. They were fighting over some Ohio aspects and borderlines. Mm -hmm. um, but so we have some, uh, we have some militia from that time. Then we have, um, of course, so we have the French and Indian. We have the Revolutionary, Spanish American. Uh, War of 1812. We do have some more. Mm -hmm. We have at least one from the War of 1812 mm -hmm. and about 36 from the Revolutionary War mm -hmm. and about five that I know are from the Civil War. And then the rest of the Civil War went into the adjacent Clark Cemetery. Now, the Clark Cemetery is right behind the First Parish Cemetery, yes. right? Yes, yeah. that's more 1835. Mm -hmm. But... Um, as you can see, we, we've been thinking about doing another segment because one of the members of our group, group Russell Hobbs, is really latched onto the war years, which uh -huh. spans, you know, so if you think about it, 1763 all the way up through um, the Civil War. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's it, it was a turbulent time, mm -hmm. but it was an unsettling time. It was a scary time. Mm -hmm. And we think of that area as some place where people really went to rest, mm. right? Yeah. They're there to rest. They established this country. Mm -hmm. They're important to this town. And in a lot of respects, they've been forgotten. Yes, and, but I will say this. Um, most of that has to do with people moving on. It was a, you know, you think we, we were talking about how long it took to walk to church in mm. those days or walk. I'm not going to even say to the store because there were a lot of people growing things and fishing for things locally, but that there were no stores, so to speak, in the, in the early days of Gloucester. But the, the amount of distances they traveled just to, to look for food, look for some sort of um, industry was amazing to me. Mm -hmm. And even a lot of those settlers, even though we have Babson's, Chandler's, mm -hmm. um, Stacy's, and Davis's in that burial ground, and a lot of those Trasks sound mm -hmm. like streets that you come across today. Mm -hmm. A lot of those families are no longer in this area, mm -hmm. so they don't have a local roots to that cemetery, mm -hmm. and there's not a lot of care, and they've kind of moved away. What's brought all that back, and myself, back to that cemetery is industry.com. Because I'm looking for, you know, my ancestry.com ancestry yeah. because mm -hmm. we're looking for, we're establishing and building our family trees and there's mm -hmm. this resurgence, even in DNA, to look for, you know, where did we come from 
and mm-hmm. where where were we late to rest? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where did people migrate to? Yeah. And it's fascinating. So I'll be working up there on a Sunday morning, and we'll have people coming from all over, all over the world, just mm-hmm. wanting to see this little cemetery and trying to find their, That's great. you know, their ancestors. Their, they they do. Yeah, it's wonderful. I love that. So if if somebody was searching for their Gloucester ancestors. They would just go to um, First Parish Cemetery and Clark Cemetery and look at all the headstones? Or? No, they would not. Okay. I would advise <laughs> there's something called Find a Grave now. Find a Grave okay. online, right. right? So if you were looking for, we'll say, um, um, Sandy Barry, for example, mm-hmm. and um, I wanted to know, well, are there any berries uh, buried in... Um, Gloucester, so to speak, mm-hmm. you could look for maybe, you know, maybe my grandfather's name, and you might not find anything. Mm-hmm. You could do the reverse lookup and look for First Parish, because maybe you know five of the historical cemeteries in Gloucester, and you want to see if any of your ancestors are buried in Gloucester. Mm-hmm. You just go to find a grave. You put in First Parish Burial Ground, Gray Cemetery, um, you could put in Second Parish. You could put in Universalist. You could put in maybe the top five cemeteries in the mm-hmm, city mm-hmm. and kind of go through the alphabetical list. Mm-hmm. It will tell you the year that they were born, died, and hopefully, and we're working on this separately, what was written on their cemetery stones because uh, a lot of the cemetery stones... They have a lot to say. They do, <laughs> but unfortunately, some of them you can't read, read anymore. Yeah. Um, in 1895, um, William Henry Dolliver was paid by the city of Gloucester, think about this, 1895, to go to each cemetery stone in First Parish, Bray, uh, Bayview, Second Parish, maybe even a couple of other ones that I'm forgetting now, and write down, sit there and write down everything that was written and sometimes do a little bit of artwork that was written on some of the more ornate stones. Mm -hmm. That's great. Do we have that record? We have that record. Oh, wow. Okay. And when I go to find a grave a lot of times, Mm -hmm. and by the way, this book that he um, wrote down those inscriptions has been scanned. Bill Remsen would love this. And is, is on the city site on the main archives page. On the archives page. Oh, that's wonderful. It is. Now, if you went to that site, mm-hmm. you would look, you would find the book for First Parish Burial Ground. And in there, you would find, let's just say that you're looking for um, uh, William Chandler, okay, or John Babson, you know. Mm-hmm. You would be able to go in, and in 1895, this is what it said on the stone, because maybe you can no longer read it. And it will write. It will show you what the stone kind of the outline of it, what it was ornate, and mm. everything that was written on it. Mm. And well, let, let's go back just for a minute now because uh, I'm not sure that all of our listeners know what all of the historic cemeteries are. These would be cemeteries that are now closed. No, people are no longer buried in mm. them, and they go from 1644 up through what uh, the First World War or something. Uh, so where where are the other ones? Where is the second parish burial ground? Deep in the woods. <laughs> okay, a, Jude. Um, second parish burial grounds up off of Concord Street, where you pass like if you pass Marshall's farm stand, 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a pipe gate that is the northern end of Old Thompson Road. Mm-hmm. So like Sandy had mentioned, it was that walk to the church. And prior to, say, 1712 or so, you lived over in West Gloucester up, let's say, by Walker's Creek. Like if you were one of the Haskells or the Lufkins, mm-hmm. church attendance was compulsory. So you had to make your way um, from Concord Street to about where Grant Circle is today, mm-hmm. either by walking from um, West Gloucester down to Rust Island and taking a ferry, which, I mean, was a, basically a canoe ride across the river, or mm-hmm. walk up around Essex Ave, come out by, like, where the cut bridge is, mm-hmm. cross the bridge, walk up that way, up Centennial Ave. That is a long to, hike. It's a long hike, and in inclement weather dragging your family along um it was one it was the main reason that the people in second parish petitioned to have their own church it was kind of like a they they would um essentially split off from the Mm -hmm. the first parish church so with that came a burying ground which sandy correct me if i'm wrong was about 17 20 maybe um so I, think bur- I, I think I saw 1712. It might be the 1712. The burial ground right. may have come before the, the actual building of the, the church. The first stone we can read is 1720. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Um, so it's about a half mile into the woods. If you're not looking for it, you're going to walk right past it. There's only about 14 extant stones, um, and it's overgrown, fairly neglected, um, so are there more people buried there for, for that we but we don't know where they are because the stones are gone or I've been going through the Dolliver records. Um, Sandy had sent me a copy. I'm trying to like type them up so they're mm-hmm. a little easier to read. But I want to say there's what about 40, 40 burials, 50 burials up there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's quite a few field stones which I suspect are you know markings of, of either children's graves or, uh, less uh, less wealthy folks mm-hmm. that were buried up there. Um, a lot of the, they seem to be in clusters, like family clusters are the ones that survived. Mm-hmm. I think the latest is the early 18, maybe, I don't know, 1814, Sandy, 1820? Um, early 1800s. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I think, in my opinion, I think that's probably the most neglected one Mm-hmm. in Gloucester at this time, just because it is off the beaten path. Right. You can only get there on a dirt track, right? Yep. Walk in there on a dirt track. You know, so where is the church? Is there still a church there associated with that burial ground? The church was moved in the 1840s mm-hmm. to, it became like the Freedom Hall or something down on Essex Ave. They took mm-hmm. the frame of it and moved it down there, and now that parish is the West Gloucester Trinitarian Church. Oh, interesting. Um, but the church is, I don't know, maybe a half a mile up Old Thompson Street. So where it crosses Bray Street, there's another set of pipe gates. And the church, there's a, the, I think they, they put a stone altar there with a, you know, iron cross. And there's some benches and people leave stuff there. Mm-hmm. So, but there, you say there's a, also a cemetery on Bray Street? There is. But can I say one more thing sure. about Second Parish? Um, I ran into a fellow in the woods that said, Oh, yeah, I've been coming up here for years. Um, you know, um, some of these stones were moved. And I said, well, where were they moved to? Ooh. He said, well, they're, they're in the, you know, they're in that uh, Trinity Church on Essex Ave. 
I said, hmm, interesting. <laughs> so one of our, our uh, Chris Manny went over to the church last week, and sure enough, you know, she talked to the minister and mm -hmm. went in, and there are five or six stones sitting in the church wow. in, in, a, in a respectful place mm -hmm. because they felt, and somebody did this many, many years ago, years ago before our time, mm -hmm. that they were the early settlers and they established that church out there in the woods mm -hmm. and they wanted to save those stones before they were vandalized or oh. stolen because they found... Um, a couple of the stones um, used as patio stones in somebody's back garden. Oh. So there was a there was a period of time where um, people were taking these cool looking stones mm -hmm. out of the woods that they came across and taking them home. What what are these stones made of? Slate. I'm trying to imagine a a, a headstone in a in somebody's patio. Flat. They're slate. slate. Mm -hmm. And the ones that they they did remove to the church, and a lot of the ones that are up there in Second Parish, are about an inch thick, mm -hmm. and in, they they kind of sh um, they have a luster to them that is a beautiful, sometimes mm. whirly green, and they're they're beautiful when they're wet, mm -hmm. um, but they're also very durable. They're not like the sandstone or some of the other early stones that were kind of sugar, mm -hmm. marble, even sugared. When mm -hmm. you go up to a cemetery now, they'll sugar and deteriorate. And those uh, we have a we have a general from the um, from the Revolutionary War up in First Parish, Davis, one of the Davis um, family members, and you can almost not read it. Oh. But there it stands, proud as can be, mm -hmm. and we always know where he is because we're starting to take GPS coordinates of him. Oh, that's so, wonderful. While I was poking through the the Dolva record on Second Parish, interestingly enough, there's been the stone. I've been going up there for about, I don't know, since maybe 2007, 2008. Um, and there was this one stone that I, it was one of those, it's like a red sandstone, and and I could never figure out who it was, and Sandy had sent me the Dolliver, the scans of the Dolliver book, and I was going through it, and I was like, maybe I'll find out who this is. Sure enough, he says it was unreadable even in the 1890s. Oh. But I believe he thinks it's one of the Davises because it's made of a similar, He made there's a, a notation in the book that it was of a similar stone as one in First Parish. Mm -hmm. And I thought Davis might be the name, but I'd have to go back and, and check those notes. So uh, the Bray Cemetery is in the same vicinity, or is that a family well, plot? A no, separate? Bray Cemetery is one of my favorites, mm -hmm. only for this respect. Well, lots of different respects, but if you're, if you if you're coming from the Boulevard on 133, mm -hmm. and you approach um, 128, before maybe a mile before you approach 128, it's another cemetery that's easy to miss on the right, and there's a you know a nice. Uh, a granite wall with a beautiful wrought iron gate. And mm -hmm. behind there, and it slopes down toward a little river, is another cemetery called Bray. Oh, interesting. Not Bray F. Sometimes it's confused with Bray Street. The reason why I love that cemetery is that we have two af freed African-American slaves in the cemetery oh. named Robin Freeman and Rhonda Freeman way down at the very end, mm -hmm. along with their son, uh, Robert Jr. And um, 
Wellspring House used to be an old tavern. We're talking, you know, of course, in the 1700s, mm-hmm. like a roadhouse. Everybody right. was coming miles and miles, and mostly not... The people could have gone on and on, but a horse at a certain clip carrying a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. they stopped a lot along the way because it was better to seek shelter in the nighttime because of all the... You never know if you're going to run into... You know, anybody in want. I don't want to say just Indians because there were a lot of people that needed to steal things and whatever. Um, but those stones are right now at more than a 30-degree angle. They're all intact. You can still read mm-hmm. them. But when they get to that leaning, they're probably going to snap off. Right. And those are three stones that we need to preserve, preserve. and make sure right. that we straighten. And we were going to do that this fall. Well, now, the Cemetery Advisory Committee has a a strong program of uh, restoring and rehabilitating the stones in all the historic cemeteries. And you've been very successful at getting grants, Mm -hmm. getting volunteer help and help in the community. That's right. Uh, And it seems like it's happening all the time. It's wonderful. Um, Well... Every and I'm going to say every Sunday morning at 10, 10 a.m. we have uh, people that can volunteer. We have a Facebook page, and if people don't do Facebook, they go to um, Clark Cemetery has a little schedule of when we'll be there. Mm-hmm. On when you can come, you can learn how to lift a stone, clean a stone, repair a stone, or just chat about a stone. Some mm-hmm. people just. They're curious. Mm-hmm. People wander through all the time because it's a very peaceful place. Mm-hmm. Do people go to make rubbings of the stones at no. all? No. You're not allowed to do that I anymore. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, on those marble stones, we're being very careful now not to even clean them. What about the ones that are all broken? I've been in the cemeteries and I see them all in pieces. Is there any hope for those stones? Depends. We're, we're good at piece, if we can piece it together, mm-hmm. and a lot of times if it's in four pieces and it makes it readable or if it's some um, historical significance. So number one, it doesn't have to be historical mm-hmm. if you can piece it together. Number two, if it's historical, we try even harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and number three... Um, because just because somebody doesn't have significance, it doesn't mean it's not significance to the ancestors. Um, and, and then um, it's also good for us to practice on some of those. Mm-hmm. Those techniques have been more difficult for us to kind of get a handle on because handle on because the adhesives and the you can't because First Parish is a national historic place. We have to be so careful. Mm-hmm. We have to do um, documentation. We take a picture before, we take a picture after mm-hmm. to prove that we didn't destroy it in any way and that we only improved it mm-hmm. in some way. Mm-hmm. And then we load that picture back up onto um, find a grave. Right. That's wonderful. Um, so, and, so are there other historic cemeteries? We have First Parish, Second Parish, Bray. And uh, Bayview. 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 Is there one in Lanesville? Ah, we just had a cleanup in Lanesville uh-huh. um, last weekend. Not this past weekend, but the weekend before. A lot of people in Lanesville have been walking through that cemetery to kind of get to the flat rocks and come around oh, yeah. to the seawall that's being repaired. Just so many beautiful walks all in through there. Right. It's it, it, Walter... 
um, McGrath and his wife, uh, his wife also have been maintaining that cemetery for 20 years. Wow. And for the last three years, he hasn't been able to do it. Oh. So we all got together, uh, and the committee and the Lanesville people came together, and uh, uh, we got Val Gilman to come down, and the mayor uh, wrote up a citation of thanks to him. And we presented it to him. Oh, that's wonderful. And then the whole um, community came together. We cleaned out the, the cemetery, marked the stones we want to repair. Mm-hmm. And then we got more help from oh. those people that want to learn maybe how to that's keep it going. Great. And then that we solicit the uh, DPW to get it on a mowing schedule for mm-hmm. next year. Oh, that's very good. And then good. they mow it. Um, so you get once a, a month. lot of cooperation from the city on this project. These projects, we do. That's yeah. great. Yeah, the DPW yeah. has been fantastic. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so so just I'm just sort of c- gathering all this information in my mind here, and we've heard about the soldiers. We've heard about the merchants. We've heard about the freed slaves or, or the ex-slaves. Um, what about um, the sailors or the fishermen? Uh, are they buried in the... Can, can in the I say one buried? thing about that? Mm-hmm. Captain Miles Barnes, one of my, uh, my... I'm a little champion for him because one of the grants we just got from the CPA, we got 9500 from the CPA to restore Miles... Um, 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 Captain Miles Barnes Stone. He was shipwrecked, or shipwrecked off... Uh, what's that? Salt Island off yeah. of Good Harbor Beach? Yep. Oh, yeah. And him and five seamen perished. Miles Barnes Stone is there, broken in half again, just like Deborah Poole's. And there's field stones around him embedded that we can't touch. Mm-hmm. And we think that they might be the four the sailors mm-hmm. that were buried with him that couldn't get home. Uh, so, so they were unknown. To, to touch on what Sandy was saying, mm-hmm. um, one of my kind of areas of expertise is shipwrecks on Cape Ann, which I'm sure there'll be a podcast about in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few in the records, like when a ship was lost off of Cape Ann, for instance, um, a lot of times they didn't necessarily identify the body right away. Uh, for instance, in the the... the Brig Persia that wrecked off of Easton Point. It seems that none of the sailors were recognized. There was maybe four of them that were recognized. The other half of the crew wasn't. It seems like maybe they shipped new sailors from Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know, if you had a captain that wasn't the most pleasant, or you know, the food was not great on that ship, sailors would jump ship. They've been doing it since the dawn of time of sailing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the captains would usually ship a new crew because they have to get home. Um, so some of the, the Persia sailors weren't necessarily identified and most likely went into either a mass grave or a series of graves that were lined up mm-hmm. side by side. When you think of a shipwreck, you know, it's not necessarily just not to get gruesome, but bodies washing ashore. A lot of times is like extreme trauma. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it might not be, especially in the wintertime, feasible to pack and bury these unfortunate guys and they were you know put in receiving tombs till the summertime sometimes they were sent back i think it was the persia they had sent a lot of the crew was a salem based or beverly based crew the ones they could identify were brought back to 
Salem and Beverly. Um, throughout most of my research, um, the, the shipwrecks in the cemeteries kind of dovetailed because everyone always wonders what did happen to the people whose ships came. You know, so you yeah. see in a new newspaper article, it was lost with all hands. Like, where did they all go? Yeah. Um, well, they were buried. So with First Parish, we have the Rebecca Ann, which Sandy and I were, you know, we've been kind of chit-chatting about um, the local kind of lores that they're buried up in the corner. It was the northwest corner mm-hmm. of the cemetery. Um, Sandy found a map that had, you know, it was the seven graves marked as fishermen, which, I mean, could have been the map makers. Just they knew they were some kind of seafarer and didn't realize whether it was a merchant. Didn't doesn't really matter at, the, at that point. But um, I think they're marked with f- this field stones out there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of the Captain John Parkman. He his crew survived. He didn't. He fell off. He was hit by a one of the spars and was knocked in the water. Um, he's buried up in First Paris. That's 1727. I don't know if you found that stone, Sandy. Oh, I'll look for that. Um, there's Manuel Fernandez. A lot of times, two names. Yes, Manuel Fernandez. So the stone is Manuel Fernandez, but in the Gloucester Lost at Sea Registry, it's Emmanuel Ferdinand. The date's matched. He was 18. He was lost during a collision off Eastern Point. Came ashore. He was buried at First Parish. Um, we didn't really talk much about the Universalist Cemetery. Yeah, that's that's not the industry. That was kept in Miles yeah. Barnes. The, 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 I think it's the Persia. It was the Persia in Universalist. Might be at the Universalist Yard off Pine Street? No, Church? Yeah, Is over it? near um, David. Up in the... Up on Pine, Pine Street, yeah. right. Um, there was the industry, there was the Rebecca Ann... I, I found some names of sailors, but a lot of times, obviously, the graves weren't marked. Um, and then Second Parish, I suspect there was some um, sailors' burials, probably in a... They, I assume that those might have been in graves that were actually marked because they're, they're pretty prominent families. There was a shipwreck off Coffins Beach in 1784, two shipwrecks, actually, one hit the bar and the other one collided into it and they were found the next day on the beach and were buried up in the from the the, the record says it was from the Reverend Fuller's church which is the second parish church um, I suspect they're somewhere in second parish cemetery either mm-hmm. in an unmarked grave or the stone's been lost it's wonderful um, I mean I think all the research is just wonderful because otherwise even if we can't find their graves we at least have the knowledge and the record of who they were and, and what happened to them and the fact that they are buried here in Gloucester. They're all part of Gloucester's heritage. All the different groups from all the different backgrounds. And I imagine there are a lot of unmarked graves that were uh, paupers' graves as well, which was customary to have. I was just going to I was gonna mention that when we were talking about unmarked graves. I went through the vital records. At, I had some time. Um, a couple summers ago and just noted everybody that was in the vital records that mm-hmm. died in either in the almshouse, the poorhouse, uh, I think it was interchangeable names. There's about 230 of them. Really? Um, where, where was the, um, where were the almshouse and the poorhouse? The first, the earliest one I think was on the corner of Commonwealth Ave in Centennial Ave. Mm-hmm. And then it moved up to Granite Street. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that are apartments now, and then it was moved over to where um, 
Gloucester High School is. So Gloucester High School, before it was the town dump, before it was Gloucester High School, it was the town dump. Mm-hmm. And then it was, there was a, um, like a pest hospital. So for like basically the infectious diseases hospital. Mm-hmm. And then um, the, the poor farm up along the back of it, up to where, say, Emerson Ave is where the food pantry and the marine fisheries is. Most of the burials were at the town tomb. Is how they described it. Um, I my assumption is that would be almost all of them are in First Parish, mm-hmm. somewhere. Mm. That's right. One thing about um, I was thinking about um, when you when you come into the First Parish uh, burial ground, immediately just about after you come up that narrow uh, alleyway there in the cemetery on the on the left, there's a section called uh, Protestants and Catholics. Oh. And it's <laughs> funny because um, you'll have some crosses on the stones, especially you know for the uh, for the Catholics. What what I've read recently is that though those Catholics and Protestants are buried on the earliest settlers of the town, Jude, and they're underneath. And when we're talking about that, because the earliest settlers didn't have stones, we think that some of them were probably only buried four feet down. Some people were buried two feet down. Some were buried, uh, depending on the time of year, of course, and how far they could dig down and trees being in the way, tree roots, uh, that we do have layers upon layers. Mm. uh, I mean, there's about 600 graves in First Parish, Mm. but there's layers. Mm. Is it possible to do uh, remote sensing? To determine how many layers there are in some I mean, of like places. ground penetrating radar. Yes, mm-hmm. we've talked to um, an outfit in southern New Hampshire about doing their training um, uh, for free ah. at First Parish Burial Ground. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? And we would just kind of be around. Yeah. Um, and I was talking to him, and he said that some of the early ground penetrating radar that he's done in other cemeteries in Massachusetts, um, they buried them in shrouds, and they could see safety pins and they Uh, could tell from the layers how far down down they went with bodies in other cemeteries so why not sure um they have different uh techniques uh whether it's a magnetometer or uh, ground penetrating radar that's dragged across the ground and whatever and you just have to be able to read the charts uh, and graphs that those machines generate in order to Determine, but it seemed, it would be wonderful to actually determine how many layers of ancestors are buried on top of each other in the oldest part of those cemeteries. Uh, the other thing that I found very interesting, I, I should mention that uh, Sandy has done a wonderful slide presentation, which I think you'll probably see on uh, 1623 Studios. I'm sure they'll they'll be screening it at some point, but. Um, as part of that, uh, one of the things I found very interesting was um, the idea that there were artists who specialized in making these stones and in carving them, and uh, that some of them were um, you know, very well known, very famous, and some of the motifs are very famous. Can, can you talk a little bit about some of the motifs that are on those burial, ah, uh, those gravestones? Yes. Now, uh, the reason why people get, especially younger, Kids get fascinated with the skulls because it's just like this genre thing going on. Skull and crossbones. (laughs) You're used to seeing that on poison bottles. They are. (laughs) But back then, a skull meant um, um, the realization that the 
body and the, the, the mind um, were impermanent and that, you know, they were going to go someplace else depending mm-hmm. on the religion, actually, at those mm-hmm. times. Um, and then we would get kind of, uh, we would get crossbones over skulls and then we would get winged cherubs and they started getting a little bit more fancy and more pleasant. Um, so that you turn into an angel. <laughs> yes. And then you would get the weeping willows and the urns and the trees and the, uh, and then later after that, people had more money and they were more established and you'd get the more ornate child sleeping at the grave or, you know, you'd get, uh, as time went on, you got away from the skull and crossbones, mostly because when the skull and crossbones in early religions, you weren't supposed to celebrate. You know, there wasn't this outward um, show of religion or, you know, of, of ornateness. You know, you, it was very somber times. So there weren't a lot of beautiful winged cherubs. I mean, that came much later. later. Mm-hmm. It's it's an interesting kind of snapshot of people's attitudes towards death. At a given time. At any given time by looking at some of those stones as it kind of became more of a, it became less of a reminder, as it it were. I I noticed that you actually identified some of the stone carvers. There was a John Hartshorn um, who was um, at the Veterans Center or in the area of the Veterans Center. We have his stone carver. No, well, um, I meant to say in that that... um, the stone that he carved is up in the attic. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's interesting that a, a previous cemetery committee um, brought some of the stones up into the Veterans Center, and we've mm-hmm. kept them there. They tend to be the real early ones or maybe the more uh, specially carved ones, mm-hmm. but now we don't do that. Everything stays where we find it. Right. Is there any way to restore, uh, replace them back, yeah. put them back, the ones that were taken out? You could, but we would have to probably piece some of them together. Uh-huh. And there's so many laying on the ground now that we're getting trying to get oh, away from right. the lawn mowing, right, and right. the kids just taking a little skull and crossbone away. We're working on those oh, first. Yeah, right. Okay, and um, and the material. It's interesting that also is a reflection of the times. There's a distinct change in the materials over time. Do you know something about that, Bill? You're nodding your yeah. head. This is Bill Remsen from the. Historical hi, hi, everybody. Hi. Um, well, as as uh, Sandy said, the uh, typical early stones would be slate, <clears throat> followed in the 19th century with uh, brownstone and then marble, uh, where you had often more complex, uh, even polychrome uh, complex monuments, and then followed even later in the 19th century and the 20th century by uh, granite, and granite being harder to carve, uh, very difficult to carve in fine detail, and uh, but also much more durable. And so most gravestones today are made out of granite, so they, they last a lot longer. Hmm. So, and have you been in these cemeteries uh, yourself? First parish, second parish? Yes, I, I, I participated in the, um, the training programs for the last two years, which, which were fantastic. Re- very, very good. I'm sure you've already talked about that. Uh, a, a little bit, but very generally. I, I uh, remember when uh, the monumental decision was made to have a goat herd there in order to eat all the poison ivy and invasive plants in First Parish Cemetery, which was hugely successful, as I recall. Po- 
poison ivy yeah. is a big problem in there. Do the goats eat? To, do they do they eat poison they ivy? Poison they poison ivy. love poison ivy. Excellent. You have, you have to corral them a little bit into little herding areas so they don't run and eat the good stuff. Right. Now fencing, you have to really manage them. And, and what's the other invasive species there? Those cherry, the cherry. Uh, this black cherry, bittersweet. Bitters, bittersweet. Bittersweet. Wild that's, that's garlic. The, yeah. the bittersweet's the terrible stuff. You know what's interesting? We have a problem with Japanese knotweed. I don't know if we experimented with Japanese knotweed in them. That has really taken over. So. Well, I one of the one of the things I and I don't know if you've already talked about it is. The, the critical critical thing to do, and I, I know in the first parish that studies were done a long time ago, recording the names and all the pertinent information from the gravestones, was that a complete survey of every stone? And so there was one survey done in 1895 by William Henry Dolliver of First Parish, Second Parish, Cove Hill, uh, Bayview, and I don't know if Bray was done. Uh, that is online on the archive site. You can print that out, look at it, and we're loading that into a database right now, um, as uh, for example. The other was in the 1905 Essex Antiquarium. Am I saying that right? Ant Antiquarian, yeah. Antiquarian. They Sounds also, right. They also um, uh, recorded all the stones in the city pre-1800 but nothing between after 1800. So we have all the inscriptions. That's excellent, because as we all know, the, at the end of the day, the information is, is, is incredibly right. Important. important. Right, yeah. yeah. And, and the, the stones, even though they, particularly the slate ones, last a long time, they don't last forever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We, um, in, in some of the cemeteries, it will say what they dive, died of, whether it was smallpox, influenza, Sometimes it'll even say the longitude and the latitude where they died. For people who are lost at sea, you mean? No, just died at sea. If they're lost at, at sea, sea, they don't tend to be there. But uh -huh. um, if um, they, they, died were, they died at, at sea, sea. Uh, in the case I'm talking about, which will be in the slideshow, of uh -huh. a three-year-old boy that was really precious to them that they brought uh -huh. home. Oh. He died off of um, Kitty Hawk uh -huh. on his way back from the West Indies with the family. Ah, so they recorded the the exact longitude and latitude of the place where he. That's that's that's, that's very, very important it information. Is, it actually. is, yeah, yeah. Current is, current stones typically are very simple. They just right. sort of say the name and right. the, the birth and death date. Mm -hmm. And and one of the things that I've noticed because I've worked on some other cemeteries is the the current trend to not put people's middle names down. Oh they, yeah. You know they say John Smith. Well, that's great, except the fact yeah, that there's no fifty of them in the record. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few other people named John Smith, and, yeah. and so if you don't, I mean, if you're ever just trying to decide what to do, make your stone out of granite, make sure it's beveled so the water drains quickly, and put the full name down. <laughs> you know, um, it, it's a genealogical nightmare, especially trying to figure out dates and people's names. And we have such a cool example in First Parish of a single stone. It has, you know, two arches on it joined together of two little babies. They died 11 months apart, both with the same name. No yeah. middle initial. Yeah. 
just like, and, and if you were trying to figure out, well, wait a second, was that this name, that name, it becomes so obvious in a cemetery on a stone that they were from the same family, mm -hmm. whereas if it's just in a database somewhere, how are you going to know that that was part of the same family and that wasn't mm -hmm. a mistake, that they were two different death dates? And, and there was a tradition in some families to name a child after a deceased child. Um, that was a, a very common thing, just as it was common to name the first son after the father, and so on. So there were naming traditions. And the, another thing they did was, um, if if the father uh, was dead, died before the child was born, the child could be named after the father, and they wouldn't call that child, you know, John Smith Jr. Ah. So John Smith. Oh, right. So this child would be John Smith, the right. same name. Same, same name. And, right. and just then it really does get complex. So one of the startling things about the early cemeteries is how many children are actually yeah. buried in them. Yes. When you compare it to a modern cemetery, it's, you know, the, the child mortality rate was, you know, Huge. infinitely larger Huge. than Very it is much today. Larger. In the early 1800s, there were 164 child uh, fatalities from diphtheria. So in eight, it's not a Gloucester cemetery, but the, the first, is, I think it's the first parish, the old one out in Rockport by the beach, Mm -hmm. um, when Sandy Bay was a part of Gloucester still. Right, right. Um, I believe it was the Poole family, mm -hmm. two Poole families that were, you know, obviously related, lost a good amount of their children to the throat distemper, the diphtheria outbreak in mm -hmm. 1735 to 1740 that had swept down. Somehow skipped over this part of Gloucester. It looks like it made its way from New Hampshire and hit a bunch of communities, but Rockport was hit pretty hard, in particular the Pools. Um, mm. it's, you know, it's, it's a, a sad thing to see when you go through one of the oldest cemeteries, how it many children, you know, children are, are buried yeah. in there. And a lot of young women yep. too, who died in childbirth and especially in the 17th century. We'll, we'll see, um, um, obviously a mother that died and you'll see just two weeks later, the baby dying, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it, it, and, and out in second parish, there were about three stones from 1720. You got to wonder if there was something going on around that time. Um, and then we're, we're also doing um, a study on the uh, influenza outbreak of 1918. We wanted mm -hmm, it to be mm -hmm. out and to talk about it for the 200th year anniversary. For the 100th. Say again, Sandy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so from 1918, yeah. yes, 100th. Right. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry if I said 200. And um, it's the one, 100th year an, um, anniversary, but we didn't get that out in time um, because just in September, it was 100 years ago that we mm -hmm. were, we had about three or four months where the town was racked with a lot of people um, dying from it. Mm. I think that killed, what, 20 million people? Yeah, it did. And, it was a huge thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it, I, stories from my own family. My family members actually left uh, New England and went down to uh, South Carolina to work on a lumber farm. Uh, we have letters. This is from 1864. We have letters from that time. And uh, the letters home are saying, is it over yet? We're dying to come back home. We don't like it down here. <laughs> I, I think yeah. Gloucester averaged something like, at the height of the flu epidemic, something like 18 or 20 people a day wow. dying. Um, you know, we had hospitals. We had another hospital set up. to. We had an out, there was a 
apparently a tent hospital at Addison Gilbert and then another one down by the police station mm-hmm. just to um, just to manage the, the sheer number of people that contracted the flu, which mm-hmm. usually, you know, you, you either die of the flu or complications, which the main one was bronchial pneumonia. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it was it was up. It was averaging something like 20 people a day dying for September through the end of November, I think, is when it started to actually start to taper off. Mm. Terrible. So our historic cemeteries tell uh, a great history. It's not just headstones uh, in fields that need to have uh, goats to eat the poison ivy in them. It's a, a whole. It's the whole story of all all Gloucester's people and all the people who have been through here. Uh, and I I, uh, I really liked this quote uh, from your slideshow, Sandy, from uh, the city documents from the city of Gloucester, 1895, ordered that graves of every soldier and sailor who served in the Revolutionary War, War of 1812, Seminole War, Shays Rebellion. Mexican War be marked with a suitable design so the graves can be identified and on Memorial Day receive the homage of a grateful people and that the Commission on Military Affairs, the provision of this order to be carried out in full, the cost to be charged to the armory and public uses. So, and I didn't even know we, we participated in the Seminole War and Shays Rebellion. <laughs> so that's, a, that's a, an interesting document. And the Mexican War, of course, refers to the uh, Spanish-American War. No, I think no? it's the 1848. 1848. Oh, the 1848 yeah. Mexican War. Yeah. Oh, yeah. good. So, and, uh, and that's only in 1895, so we go up to, there are more wars after that. Do they actually put markers on all the graves still? As many as they can find. Um, usually, if you go up to First Parish, for example, uh-huh. you'll see a cluster in the middle that they can't find, right. but they still put the flags for the ones uh-huh. that they know are there in the right. middle of the cemetery. Uh-huh. Very good. In, in Clark's uh, cemetery, they, there are a bunch of the marble, uh, new marble uh, stones. Are, those are replacing ones that had fallen apart? Yes. Right. Yes. So that's still going on. That Those, is. That's. Uh, there's only been one. We put one in the ground maybe oh, this summer at some point down in First Parish. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, it was down in Clark's that, that, that uh, was still out of the ground and not even put in yet. So we put that in. Now, if, if some of our listeners wanted to see these cemeteries or have a tour of them, are there organized uh, tours or? We can give even one-on-one visits mm-hmm. to the, the cemetery if you'd like to. And we, we're on the city site at the, um, right off of the cemeteries advisory committee. Cemetery we have our own page. Cemetery advisory committee, right? Cemeteries advisory, advisory committee. committee so okay, and that's see. on the City of Gloucester website. Under committees, you would scroll over and go down and find it, and there would be the information for the contact. Did we miss anything here? Is there anything else about the cemeteries that we haven't uh, touched upon? I just want to say a, a couple of things about the uh, materials. <clears throat> I, I think you've already mentioned that the early earliest graves probably had wooden markers, which are mm-hmm. long gone, but um, at, at, at some point, People were doing extravagant things, doing uh, 
the the white bronze, the, the zinc uh, mm-hmm. uh, markers and statuary, oh, yeah. which was very popular in the after the Civil War right. for a while, and yeah. so. You may see those. So there's there's fragments of that in the Clark Cemetery. But there's a nice one in um, Cove Hill that Walter said, Walters, we'll, we'll just say he's in his 80s, um, said that he used to find kids storing um, beer under the stone because um, you can lift it up. It was from Sears and Roebuck. Uh, Sears and Roebuck, and it could easily be mailed because it didn't weigh a lot. <laughs> The the uh, the uh, these white zinc uh, or zinc or white bronze statues were were mass produced. Uh, there's actually an extremely good one at the beginning of the uh, cemetery in Anasquam of a Civil War soldier. Right, it's right. a life size statue of in a big pedestal, and it's it's sort of a light blue gray color, but it's it's zinc. It's not stone. It looks mm-hmm. it looks like stone. You can but, tap on it and it echoes. Right, right. They're hollow. <laughs> That's creepy. <laughs> so, uh, Jude, where is your research going to lead you next? I don't know. Don't know. Wherever it takes me. Oh, well, that's wonderful. You know, um, now that you look at me, Marianne, <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking that we started a project, not last winter, but the winter before. We always do projects through the winter. The flu epidemic was last winter. Uh, so, And then two winters ago, we did one called Stones and Homes, where mm-hmm. we would find a stone... Oh yeah, and look for the house to see if it was still standing, mm-hmm. and and we would, we didn't really do much with it except put it on our Facebook page where, we would if we found it in a particular cemetery we would do the research, make sure that this was the house, and then take a picture of the house because we've been starting to get worried some of the houses are going to kind of go away now too, um, we used to worry just about the stones so mm-hmm. that's one project that we've been working on. So, and, and the first parish cemetery is in the National Register of Historic Places and is listed there. Have you found anything detrimental about being on the National Register? Oh, certainly not. We, we, um, we think that we've been able to get, in fact, um, some additional funding to do some, for us, more um, repairs and maybe... Um, maybe make it look a little bit better. Mm-hmm. You know, cemetery, you know, as they age, they deteriorate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Is that the only cemetery that's on the National Register? Um, Oak, Oak Grove. Oak Grove. Mm-hmm. And we've been working on getting Fisherman's Rest in Beechbrook oh, yes. Cemetery. Mm-hmm. And so um, when and I... And what is Fisherman's Rest? Um, John Ham John Hammond from Hammond Castle mm-hmm. donated some money in the early 1900s for uh, sailors and fishermen that couldn't uh, afford their afford. own mm-hmm. f- um, plot mm-hmm. and, of course, their own stone. And they allocated an area of that cemetery to bury those sailors. It's closed out now. There's no more room in it, mm-hmm. but it's full historic mm-hmm. ships. The captains, the sailors. Howard Blackburn's there, right? Yes, he is. Howard Blackburn is buried there. Wow, yeah. that's wonderful. One well, of the most famous. This is great, and we're just so fortunate to have, uh, you know, uh, researchers in the Historical Commission and the Cemetery Advisory Commission to do all this research. It's a real boon for the city to have all this information. So, well, that's wonderful, and I, I don't think we've actually decided what our next topic is going to be next month. We'll have to discuss that at our, our next meeting, figure out, unless you want to talk more about uh, cemeteries. I don't know. Do you have more you well, want to say? What about shipwrecks? 
We, we, we could do a, a piece on shipwrecks, yeah? We could. Yeah? Maybe that would be a good thing. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe the people who hear our talks uh, would uh, have requests. So maybe we'll hear about that. I know Corey, um, what's his last name? Kukuru. Corey. Uh, said that he had been getting requests for certain topics. Really? Yeah. Well, that'd be great to see. I will share it with you. Very uh, good. Sandy, oh, did you did you put in a plug for volunteers to help with? Uh, yes. Al already, it's it's very important for yeah. everyone to to put in some time there yeah. helping yeah. preserve Gloucester's heritage. Uh, especially right. um, last Sunday was a wonderful time for us because we opened an underground tomb, oh. a receiving tomb, mm -hmm. and Cape Ann uh, Studio sixteen twenty three studios. Um, let me take the camera out, and we videotaped the whole opening of the tomb, Super. and we took out a bunch of stones that had fallen in there over the oh, years. Wow, that's wonderful. Can you tell us what a receiving tomb is? <laughs> Good point. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, well, sometimes uh, a family kept their, their own personal family members in there, and they would put a, a, a nice heavy stone over it. But in this case, there there wasn't that kind of a heavy stone over it. Uh, there was a wooden uh, uh, kind of a hatchback type thing that had fallen in. I think somebody was standing on it 10 years ago. So Russell Hobbs came down, and the previous uh, uh, cemetery committee said, could you fill this in, <clears throat> not even realizing what was underneath, mm. never realizing. Mm. I don't know who you know, who could remember that that was under there. Yeah. So he dug it out, shored it up, put a nice new hatch on it. And because he wasn't versed in the whole cemetery thing and he didn't know where those, why were those stones in there, mm -hmm. he happened to take some snapshots of it and oh, brought it to our, our monthly meeting one time. And oh. now he's a volunteer. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Oh, that's so great. he's been a real... Um, there um, have been some very stalwart helpers yeah. in the cemetery. The Clarks, Richard yep. and Kathy Clark. Clark, right. Yeah. And, That's of course, a lot of people that just went to some of the trainings mm -hmm. because now they want to, like, keep up with their skills. And, and Richard was would always... How many members of his family are in uh, the cemetery? How Mr. many Clark? members of his family yeah. are buried in yeah. the city? Right. Is that what you just said? Well, in the, in the Clark Cemetery. I would cemetery. say in the city... <laughs> A thousand. He's he's probably related to everybody, really seriously. <laughs> he's in the city. He's a real a real. Um, he's got so much energy and cares so much. It's a it's a wonderful thing to it see. It is. Mm -hmm. We're lucky. He's it's passion, and his um, wife's um, genealogical research has linked him all over the place. Mm -hmm. On the there's a, a lot of community spirit in Gloucester. And I think a lot of the Gloucester people really do care about the preservation of cultural heritage. Um, so that's great. And, and the more uh, they know about it and the more they the more find they know, out, yeah. the more invested they get. That's right. That's right. So we're doing good here. <laughs> All right. Until next time, this is uh, Mary Ellen LaBianca and Sandy Barry, Jude I almost called you Jude Seminole, <laughs> Jude Seminara, and um, Bill Remsen, and we're signing off for, for this month, and catch you later. <laughs>